0: So it's the last Sunday in December and it's the last Sunday in the five-part message series we've been doing here at Wellsprings called Unscrooge, Living So You Don't Have the Top Five Regrets of the Dying. These top five regrets, of course, are coming to us from a hospice nurse named Bronnie Ware, who wrote a book about the experiences that she had working with patients in the last days of their lives. And she collected the most common regrets that she heard them express. Today we're gonna talk a little bit about the fifth and final regret in that series. I wish I had let myself be happier. I wish I had let myself be happier. So how many of you saw this guy earlier this week? Anybody? Yes? <laughs> saw him on TV, maybe. You might have seen him in the mall. Maybe he was in, across the table, exactly, inhabiting someone <laughs> at your Christmas dinner. I hope not, but it sounds like maybe for John. Now, what does his heart look like, the Grinch's heart, at the beginning of the movie? Does anybody remember they they do a little x-ray and he has this tiny little shriveled up heart, right? It barely moves, it barely beats. There's a Lutheran pastor named Nadia Boltz Weber, who I love, whose book I'm reading right now. And she talks in her book a little bit about that kind of Grinch-like shriveled up heart. She talks about one of the central experiences of her faith has been... That she gets in these modes where she builds up a heart of stone and ice right it usually comes about for her when she gets some kind of idea some kind of ambition and she has to protect this thing that's so close to her heart and so she tries to take control of everything and she sort of petrifies and solidifies this idea it's all covered up and protected by ice And just when she thinks she has it all figured out, she's got it all under control, she's completely untouchable, she says God reaches in and rips out her heart of stone. And while she's over here clamoring to get it back, God hands out and holds out for her instead a beating heart of flesh. It's a story that she talks about in her own life, It's a story that she points out is a common theme, it's present in the Bible, it's present in religious literature, secular literature, and it's the story of this guy, right? It's the story of the Grinch, because what happens at the end of the movie? His heart grew three sizes. It's a spiritual heart transplant kind of moment. And it's the same thing that we see in the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, our other source For this message series the christmas carol throughout this whole message series reverend ken has shown us that these top five regrets of the dying that brawny ware brings to us ebenezer scrooge is kind of the poster child for all of them right he's living the life that others expect of him rather than the life that he's called to live he's definitely working too hard he doesn't have the courage to express his true feelings He's losing touch with his friends and he's not letting himself be happy now just like Nadia Scrooge might claim some kind of happiness when he's kind of wrapped up in his own little world right he thinks he has everything under control he knows what he's doing he's got a plan that he's following through on he's maintaining right he's all wrapped up in that world of being untouchable by feeling or emotion or the unpredictability of relationships, those pesky other people in his world. He has that heart of ice and stone that Nadia talks about. But after the visit from the three spirits, after Scrooge is visited by the ghost of Christmas past and the ghost of Christmas present and the ghost of Christmas future, Scrooge has that spiritual heart transplant kind of moment. His last visit from the Ghost of Christmas Future shows him a horrible, horrible outcome to his life. He's dead, nobody remembers him fondly, Tiny Tim is dead because he didn't pay Bob Cratchit enough for adequate medical care, everything's terrible. And then he wakes up the next morning from that visit from the Ghost of Christmas Future and everything's okay. He's alive, Tiny Tim's alive, it's Christmas morning, everybody's happy outside. And he kind of loses it, right? If you've read the story, he starts running around his house. He's tearing up his clothes. He goes outside. He's patting little kids on the head. He's talking to strangers. He's like a totally different person. I want to read to you from one of the first things that Scrooge says when he wakes up that morning. And mind you, he's alone in his living room talking to himself. So this is kind of where we're at with Scrooge right now. He says, I don't know what day of the month it is, I don't know how long I've been among the spirits. I don't know anything. I'm quite a baby. And he laughs. And he says, never mind, I don't care. I'd rather be a baby. Ebenezer Scrooge. A spiritual heart transplant kind of moment. Now, I don't know if any of you has ever had this kind of moment. Scrooge's story might seem a little bit outdated or hard for us to relate to. When Nadia boltz Weber talks about these moments in her own life, she talks about them as poignant recognitions of her failures, of places where she's fallen behind, but also moments of realization of grace, of the gift of that new heart that gives her the opportunity to start again. I had a moment... It was sort of like this back in September. I was in Baltimore traveling for work. Most of you know that when I'm not here as your ministerial intern, I'm working part-time in the admissions office at my alma mater, Swarthmore College. And in the fall, admissions counselors all around the country are traveling, visiting high schools, talking to students, getting to know them, and giving presentations. And I was at one of these school visits in Baltimore with a great group of kids. They were really friendly and personable and engaged kids. And when I finished my presentation, one of the girls in the group, one of the teenage girls, raised her hand and she asked me, she said, I'm just curious, how did you get to be an admissions counselor? How do you get this job? And so I told her a little bit about my story. I told her that I had graduated myself from Swarthmore and I had worked in nonprofits for a couple of years. and then. I decided that I wanted to pursue ordination as a minister, and so I went back to school and was working part-time in the missions while I also did an internship at the Wellsprings Congregation. And she looked me right in the eye, and with no sense of sarcasm or smugness with complete earnestness, she said, wow, you've got a pretty good life. (laughs) Hard to argue with, right? (laughs) You've got Pretty good life. Of course, the irony was I wasn't feeling like I had a particularly good life back in September. I was going through a lot of transitions. I'd had a long relationship end. I was about to move. My financial situation had changed drastically as a result of both of those things. I had two new jobs that I was trying to learn the ropes on simultaneously and felt like I was dropping all kinds of things by the wayside. But here was this beating heart of flesh in front of me. You've got a pretty good life. Yeah, (laughs) I guess even with all that, I had some things to be happy about. I'll admit that when I first saw this list of the top five regrets of the dying, and Reverend Ken told me that this last one would be the one that I would offer a message on, I was a little stumped. Because letting ourselves be happier doesn't quite compute in those moments when we don't feel like we have much to be happy about. But I had had moments like that day in Baltimore, and I knew that there was something here. There was something in this idea of letting ourselves be happier even and perhaps especially when we feel like we don't have that much to be happy about. So I decided to go back to the stories of Bronnie Ware's patients. People who are certainly justified in feeling like they don't have much to be happy about. People who are dying. People who are in the last days of their life. About to experience the biggest loss that we can fathom. And I want you to listen to Rosemary, one of her patients, who talks about this very regret. Rosemary says, I wish I'd let myself be happier. What a miserable person I've been. I just didn't think I deserved to be happy. But I do. I know that now. Laughing with you this morning, I realized that there was no need at all to feel guilty for being happy. It's really our own choice, isn't it? We can stop ourselves from being happy because we think we don't deserve it. Or because we allow the opinions of others to become a part of who we are. But it's not who we are, is it? We can be whoever we allow ourselves to be. I wish I'd worked this out sooner. Rosemary isn't talking about being happy when things are really sad right now. And I want to make that clear. Sometimes in the present moment, things are just sad. When you're a kid and your parents split up for a while, that's just sad. When sudden tragedy or an accident or an unexpected illness strikes someone you love out of nowhere, that's sad. When depression takes hold, we can't just change our minds and be happy. We need support. We need time to grieve. But what I'm talking about, and what I think Rosemary's talking about, is that while there might be a time in our lives for sadness, none of these things, none of these sad things, should make us feel guilty for being happy. Rosemary says we can stop ourselves from being happy because we think we don't deserve it we think we haven't achieved the right to be happy. The gratitude practice that we did back in November, the 30 Days of Gratitude Practice here at Wellsprings, is so connected to this idea of letting ourselves be happy, of believing that we deserve to be happy. Now, I'm not sure that Reverend Ken and I came right out and said this during the practice, so I'm I'm gonna break it to you now, and I hope I'm not the first person to tell you this. But part of the reason why gratitude practices are so important, gratitude for what we have right now, is because we will never have everything we want. I will never have everything I want. You will never have everything you want. I see some heads nodding, right? But I I also see some people, this is really sinking in. Oh crap, I'll never have everything I want. And I know that for me, this has been a practice. This has been something that I have to remind myself of. I learn it, I forget it, and I have to learn it again. But if we're waiting for that moment, if we're waiting to get everything we want to be happy, we're really setting ourselves up to fail. We will never be able to let ourselves be happy if we think we don't deserve happiness until all that's in place. We will never be able to let ourselves be happy if we think we don't deserve it until we have everything that we want or need or think we need. Think about Scrooge. No one deserved to be happy in Scrooge's life. Not Scrooge, not his employees, not the random people he met on the street. Nobody deserved to be happy until all the goals were met and the profit margins were increased and the expectations were fulfilled, but he never got there. For Scrooge, there will always be more to do There will always be more money to grub. It's a bottomless pit, thinking that we don't deserve to be happy until this particular problem in the world is fixed, or until that particular goal in our own lives is achieved. And it's not just a problem that Scrooges and Grinches face, it's a problem that altruistic and compassionate people have to deal with too, right? There will always be someone in society who doesn't care as much about something as you think they should, that cause, that issue that's so important to you. There will always be someone in your family who does not act the way that you think they're supposed to, who doesn't love or care in the way that you think they should. There will always be some way for you to convince yourself that it's not time to be happy yet. A couple of years ago, I had a conversation with... A family friend, who was also a teenage girl, apparently I just talked to teenage girls, um, she was having a hard time. Her parents were going through a divorce. And she knew that I'd been through the same thing, so she wanted to ask me for advice. And the problem that she was dealing with was that her mother was taking the divorce okay, but her father was really, really sad, despairing, depressed. And so I talked to her a little bit about, you know, some ideas, some ways that she could be there for him, some ways that she could listen. But I could tell that this was a huge weight on her shoulders. This wasn't just something that was upsetting her. This was something that was sucking all of the joy out of her life. And this particular family friend is devoutly Christian. And so I thought I might get through to her, and I had to say, eventually, honey, you know, you're not Jesus. And she burst out laughing, laughter amidst the tears, because she realized that was the level at which she'd been dealing with this problem. She thought that if she took all of this on herself, if she took all of this pain and suffering that she saw in someone she loved onto her own shoulders, that she could make it better. But she couldn't. If we live like that, if we always take on that pain for the people that we love, we will never be happy. There will always be a reason. There will always be someone who's hurting. The world isn't perfect, but you can still let yourself be happy. You can get in the habit of holding the bad. And appreciating the good. It is a habit. It's a practice, right? It's an everyday practice that we have to incorporate into our lives. One of our core values here at Wellsprings is the value of everyday spiritual practices. It's a practice of being connected to that spiritual source, whatever it is for us, that sense of our identity that tells you, that tells us that we are worthy of happiness. There's a chapter later on in Bronnie Ware's book called Happiness Is Now. And it reminded me of a great song that came out a couple weeks ago. You might have seen the music video online. It's a song called Happy, appropriately, by Pharrell Williams. And he released this song along with something interesting, a 24-hour music video, where he basically plays the song on loop and he shows for 24 hours video of people dancing Random people in random places, in the subway station, in the airport, in the parking lots. It's really great if you, if you have the time to check it out. It's online. But there's a line in this song that really made me stop and think. By the way, the song is on the Despicable Me 2 soundtrack, which is why you have the minions in the corner. <laughs> I know the parents know the minions. The, the line from the song is, clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. If you feel like happiness is the truth. That really made me stop and think. I wish I had let myself be happier. What are Bronnie Ware's patients saying? I wish I had let myself access that current of joy that flows through the world. It wants to flow to us, one of the patients says. This idea that happiness is now, that so long as you are not in the midst of immediate present pain, you can let yourself be happy now. Think about how many things that make you unhappy are actually from the past, right? Resentment, guilt, regret. Think about how many things that make you unhappy are actually anxieties about the future, things that keep you frozen. Don't go there. Practice presence, however you most strongly connect to the present moment. What do we say every Sunday here at Wellsprings? There's nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else to be. So let's be here together now. You don't have to achieve happiness at some far off date in the future when everything is perfect. Be in this place now where your heart of flesh beats hard. Let yourself be happy as you are. Be like this guy. Right? Who'd have thought? at the beginning of A Christmas Carol that we would actually look at Scrooge as a model for how to live in and appreciate the gifts of the present moment. If he deserves the smile on his face, then you deserve it too. Call it whatever you like. Call it transformation. Call it grace. Call it a heart transplant moment or a smack on the head or a heart that grows three sizes. But when that current of joy flows your way. I hope that you'll let yourself float on it for a while. Amen. And may you live in blessing. I want to invite you to pray with me now. Holy and gracious one, God whose other name is love, We are grateful for this opportunity to come together every week to know each other better, to share what goes on in our lives. And when we see someone for whom that light of joy is flickering, to have the opportunity to be that light in another's life. We ask that you help us to share our light, but also to help us receive when someone else wants to share their joy with us. For these prayers and for the prayers of our hearts, the people say amen. Let's get the band back up here.